Hello everyone, Rory here to give you some information at the top of the podcast this time. Uh, this is obviously part two of the WBBL special, so make sure you've checked out part one. Uh, unless, of course, your team is in part two, then just listen to that one. Uh, massive episode here, Luke Williams from the Strikers, also some other news, and of course, everyone's favourite six are out. So make sure you get around the podcast, give it a like, give it a rating, give it a review, uh, share it around, tell your mates, all that kind of thing. Uh, let's get the podcast back up the charts, that's what we want to see. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure you give us a follow on social media. That's at the top edge on both Twitter and Instagram. Plenty of content, especially over on Instagram. Uh, that's kind of blowing up. So make sure you're all over that. Oh, Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Move on to the strikers, though. Uh, they slid into fourth spot in the finals, and then, you know, beat the the Renegades and the, and the Heat in the eliminator and the Challenger uh, to take on the Scorchers in the final. A game they lost because they moved the whole competition to Perth for the final, um, and then gave the Scorchers home ground advantage, which you know makes sense. They finished first, should have it, but um, disappointing for Adelaide. And and you know they were really helped in those first two finals by having those games played in Adelaide. Obviously, you know, COVID bubbles, that kind of thing. Um, made made sure that there was a lot of games in Adelaide, you know, Adelaide Oval and, and Karen Rolton Oval. And, uh, you know, the Strikers took full advantage of that. Katie Mack was was the top batter for them, 513 runs through the year. That's that's uh, incredible stuff. And then Amanda Jade Wellington with 23 wickets, uh, another just, you know, showing that the Strikers, they really are, you know, the, the top tier teams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that those two players you particularly highlighted, you know, that they're, they're... – X factors on both sides of the ball. And that's exactly what you want when you're looking at T20s. And um, yeah, it's, um, they're going to be competitive. They're going to be really strong. And, you know, they're one of those teams that can not just beat any team on any given day, but thoroughly beat any team on any given day. That's the level of talent that they've got. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see um, how they, how they kind of respond. Cause you know, when you, when you lose a grand final, you know, there's, it's often, you know, there's, there's there's feelings of discomfort and that sort of thing all around the camp, and that they'll be they'll be they'll be they'll probably have the itchiest feet to get out there and um you know put on a big performance. Yeah, absolutely, and you know they've they're a really strong bowling side, and to um, kind of shore up what they have with the batting, they brought in two really good overseas batters there in DeAndre Jordan and Laura Wolvart. Uh, Wolvart's probably the most underrated batter in the world, in, in my opinion. You know, just because she's South African, she doesn't quite get. Um, you know, that recognition and, you know, obviously don't play as much test cricket, so doesn't get to play in that format. But in ODIs and T20s, one of the best in the world, no doubt about that. And then Dalton, super, uh, super powerful. And I think that'll be key in the power surge. Um, you know, speaking to, to Luke Williams, their head coach, he said that's effectively why she was brought into the team, right, is to take advantage of the power surge and then bowl death overs and the ability to do that for the Shrikers who really weren't missing any parts last year, but to bring in some some really quality ones now is, is I think they're going to be a really good side, really. 
Yeah, yeah. You look at those players and you think really dangerous. And yeah, you speak about Laura Wolvard. It's interesting. Whenever South Africa get, you know, a good result in, in an international game, like, you know, that they beat England or India or something like that, and they do sometimes, um, who do you see at the top of the scorecard? It's Laura Wolvard. Yep. And even, you know, in, in games where they haven't quite gotten there, she still performs well. She's one of the most consistent um, South African players. And um, she's going to be going to be kind of... Um, Kind of, kind of the dark horse sort of um star of the uh, of the WBBL, I feel, because um you know they're gonna we're gonna see her play. She's probably gonna gonna you know play well as she always does, and um they're gonna realize oh this is a really really good player. Okay, we need to get our best bowlers to bowl our overs at her and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, is a trained doctor and you know plays guitar, does a bunch of other stuff. Can literally do it all. So, yeah, a good pickup for the strikers, keeping her around. Um. The reason they only have two, though, is because they've got so many good, you know, Australian players. Darcy Brown and Tally McGrath are really the headlines there. Darcy Brown, obviously, extremely quick, and, and McGrath has just been dominant for 12 months at in international level. Um, you know, to, to be able to kick Elise Perry out of a spot, uh, you have to be pretty good, and, and she's obviously done that. Katie Mack, the other one, she signed a two-year deal with the Shrikers recently, so she's sticking around. And uh, if she can even provide, you know, three quarters of what she did last year, the Shrikers are going to be unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. You look at those Australian players, and um, they're they're pretty incredible. I mean, Talia McGrath is just, you know, she's like a cheat code when it comes to T Twenty cricket. <laughs> um, just does it all. Um, takes wickets when you need wickets, hits huge runs when you need huge runs, and um, yeah, she's she's maybe the best T Twenty player in the world right now. And um, you know, having her for the strikers is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's the young gun that's going to make their way into the, uh, the strikers lineup. I'm not sure how many games this person's going to play just because of, you know, how strong that strikers lineup is, but they've got a Zimbabwe international who's playing as a local player. That's uh, Aneshu Mushangu. I believe that's how you pronounce it. It's pretty good for me. Uh, definitely one to keep an eye on. It provides a little bit with bat and ball and uh, more than anything, just good to have, uh, well, not an associate player because it's Zimbabwe, but one of the countries that's um, not quite as big in women's cricket, you know, bringing players out to Australia and, and allowing them to play and as an, and a local player. So it doesn't take away from that, uh, you know, international signing either. So I think that's um, just really smart from the strikers and perhaps something that, you know, all T20 leagues should look to, you know, uh, why can't the IPL have uh, a spot for players from Nepal or a, a player from Uganda? You know, they're on the, they're on the rise. I think that's, uh, you know, an extra spot for, for overseas players would be smart there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think of, um, I think of the NBL, they have um, what's called special restricted players, where if you want a player who's from Asia, you can sign them and you can have them in addition to your import players and that sort of thing. And that's no problem. Um, obviously Joe Chi's the big, the big name there with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. And um, they should, they should definitely look at it in franchise cricket. I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's a good chance to give exposure to these players and, um, you know, kind of develop um, the uh, kind of cricketing presence and the, uh, the kind of cricketing press um, surrounding the, those different kind of lesser known nations. And it's, um, you know, it's great to see, and it's, it's good to have, have that kind of, that diversity in the, uh, in the, uh, in the league and um, have, have that different, different sort of, sort of feel, a different perspective. And, um, you know, Adelaide strikers have always been big about having a different kind of feel and um, they're no different here. And that's going to be, going to be really cool. And it's going to be cool to see what she's, she's going to be able to do when she gets the opportunity. Yeah. We, uh, we also saw how good Thailand was 
at the last uh, last World Cup and, you know, maybe uh, have some Thai players come out. That would be good. Um, their path to victory, though, pretty clear. You know, strong team pretty much uh, from 1 to 11 there. You know, their bowlers are really good. But Tali McGrath through the middle, um, taking advantage of the power surge with Dodden and then, you know, probably bowling four overs for this team as well. Um, she's, she's really the key. And I've got no doubt if, if she just continues the form she's already shown this year, the strikers will probably you know, finish top two and, and possibly make, fi- make the final. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely definitely a place that you'd forecast them at. Um, the Adelaide Strikers are just, just so ace, so good. And, um, yeah, I, I I find it hard to look fast, um, past them when it comes to uh, success in the, in the WBBL, but there are lots of strong strong teams. Uh, yeah, so before we move on to the Brisbane Heat, let's... Um... I was lucky enough to speak to Luke Williams, the head coach of the Strikers, earlier today. So we'll throw to that interview uh, now. All right. Continuing our massive WBBL preview, we've got a head coach from the Adelaide Strikers with us, Luke Williams. Luke, thank you for joining us for the the, the preview show. Thanks, Rory. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all. Uh, It's a different kind of lead into the tournament compared to the last couple with, you know, COVID playing a little bit less of a role. I feel like we've heard quite a lot from players about what you know COVID and the bubbles were for them. But as a coach, um, how do you think your role changed, and you know what kind of lessons have you taken from that time and, and brought it into this season? Yeah, last couple of years have, have definitely had their, their challenges with um, different arrival dates and um, different isolation requirements, and, and even the, the schedule chopping and changing very much in the in the months and, and weeks to, to lead up to the the tournament so it's been it's been great to, to get back to a, a little bit more um, normality uh, for the for the upcoming season but certainly I think um, just the planning and the and I guess just the um, the welfare and, and those sort of discussions that have um, been so important over the last couple of years have been have been uh, things that we've we've certainly learnt from and, and taken into um, our planning for for this year um, and, the, and the upcoming tournament but it's, it's certainly nice to, to have things um, a little bit more stable and, and predictable than, than what we've had in, in previous seasons. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, you seemed to thrive last year. They obviously got to the final and then, you know, couldn't quite get it done in that final over in Perth. But, you know, what kind of lessons do you, do you take from, you know, getting so close to that trophy? Yeah, it was, um, we had a really enjoyable and, and successful um, season last year. We, we started the tournament well. We... We had a bit of a dip in the in the middle. We we dropped four games in a row at, at one stage, including a couple of close games. But we we managed to play some really good cricket towards the back end of the tournament and get on a bit of a roll and and play well in our first two finals. But unfortunately, um, weren't quite good enough against a, a strong Perth Scorchers side. We we lost to them um, three times for the tournament last year, including the final. So we're very much aware um, of their strength as, as as well as the other teams in in the tournament. So uh, for a start, it's for us, it's, it's really about um, trying to play um, enough good cricket to, to give yourself another chance um, in a final series at the back end of, of this year, and, and hopefully we can go one better if we if we do uh, get that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, the, the Scorch is obviously a very strong side, and will probably be very strong again this time around. As you said, uh, you know, three losses, one of those in the Super Over, and then uh, 12 runs, I think, was the margin in these other two games. Uh, how much of a focus do you, you take on beating that the Scorchers this time around? Now that there seems to be a bit of a rivalry there. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of respect for the Scorchers, and obviously um, Sophie Devine played a number of years with yeah. with the Strikers, and has obviously done a great job um, 
uh, with the, the Scorchers and, and as as Shalinitsky, who um, had a, a long-term involvement with the Strikers prior to the Scorchers, so certainly a bit of rivalry um, there, but, but a huge amount of respect for, for Perth. Um, to be honest, at this stage, um, we're very much aware of um, all the teams. It's a bit of a cliche, but yep. you look through the list and it's actually really hard to predict um, how the teams are going to go this year. There's, there's lots of talent and there's been... Um, some moves, both in overseas players and, and also local players um, around the competition. So I think it's going to be a really interesting um, tournament. There's, there's lots of quality and um, it's going to be interesting to see um, which teams are, are there towards the business end of the season. Yeah, and just one of those quality players is obviously Tali McGrath. You've, you've seen her kind of grow over the last few years into uh, you know dominating international cricket as she has done in the last 12 months. Uh, what do you put that kind of growth down to? Yeah, I think uh, some more experience for Natalia. She's, she's learned a bit about herself and, and her game and has found out what works and has been able to, I guess, um, reach a level of consistency um, that she's been striving for, for for a long period of time. So, yeah, we're absolutely thrilled for, for Talia and her, her last year or two have been um, amazing. So certainly hoping that that, that continues um, for her, both in, in this upcoming tournament, but, but also the future. It's a, it's a big year ahead as well for the, for the Australian team and hopefully... Tyler will be front and centre of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, two players that are going to complement her in, in your side, Laura Wolvard and, and Deandra Dalton are the international players. Uh, Wolvard, I think, probably one of the most underrated batters in the world, and, and Dalton possesses an incredible amount of power. Uh, with the power surge coming in, do you see Dalton kind of coming in trying to take full advantage of those two overs? Yeah, certainly. That was one of the, one of the reasons for, for Deandra's um, prior interest in, in Deandra is, yeah, obviously her... Her power game is is um, excellent, and, and we certainly think with with the power surge um, that her ability to um, potentially impact that is, is certainly one of the reasons that we're really interested in, in Deandra as well as well as her bowling at, at different times. Yeah. She's she's bowled some death overs and, and thinks she'd be another option in in the power surge with with the ball as as well as being a, a brilliant field um, fielder. So um, we thought with the power surge that. Um, but she's really well suited to, to that. Um, and, and Laura has had a great sort of two seasons for us, fits in really well with our, with our group um, and has been um, really consistent in the, in the top order and um, certainly looking for her to, to have another um, big season for us and, and is a really key cog in our, in our batting lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And the power surge is just one of the new rules, obviously. DRS is coming into the competition for the first time. Uh, even if it's just for the, those uh, games on TV that are live, uh, would you do you want to see that kind of expanded across the whole competition going forward? And uh, what kind of discussions are you having with with the senior players and the best way to go about using that? Yeah, certainly with the DRS, uh, excited that that's that's brought in. Um, yeah, we certainly want the um, the correct decisions to be made as, as much as as possible. So um, hopefully that can be expanded in in the years to come. We're, we're probably fortunate that quite a few. Um, players and especially our, our bowling group of, of uh, um, bowled at international level so I've had some exposure to, to DRS um, so certainly there's been a couple of discussions around around that um, but that'll be interesting to see how that plays out and um, probably even more discussions are, are, are being had and, and um, training around the, the power surge and, and starting to, to get our heads around that but I think that'll be something that'll really evolve and um, across the tournament it's going to be interesting to see um, what impact that has on on games and um, how different teams look to utilise that or different players within different teams. So I think that's going to be a, 
an exciting addition to the to the tournament and and that I think a, a bit of um, another level of strategy to to the game. So looking forward to seeing how that pans out. Yeah, absolutely. And the last question from me here, Luke. Uh, you obviously take the six take on the sixes uh, in the first of a double header on on Saturday afternoon there. Obviously, a very strong batting lineup there. You know, Perry, Healy, Ash Gardner there as well, and then a couple of uh, gun overseas players as well. How are you looking to combat that top order, and you know how closely you're going to watch their first game on Thursday night? Yeah, we'll definitely be having a look at the, the Sixers and Heat game, and, and having a look uh, how they go go about things. Um, Sixers have had obviously a, a tougher year or two. There's a lot of respect for the for the Sixers as a as a franchise and um, the players that are within it. Some of the, those that you mentioned are fantastic players of the, the world game, really. So um, we know we're going to have to be at our at our best um, to compete with the Sixers. Um, last year we we um, played well against them on a, on a couple of occasions, and obviously we've got some um, a strong bowling lineup and, and they've got a strong batting lineup. So I think it's going to be a an exciting um, match up and. Um, be great to, to hopefully start the season with a, a strong performance against a team that we respect a lot. Absolutely, I think it's yeah, going to be a cracker of a game. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here, Luke, on the on the big preview episode. No worries at all. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. I just want to thank Luke. Before we move on to the Heat, for that uh, really good chat, ten minutes, and uh, you know uh, he had a, a lot to say that was interesting, and you know around the power surge and DRS that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, Callum, let's go to the Heat. Yep. I mean, great to hear that perspective and, you know, great, great to have on the podcast. Um, so thank you very much. But yeah, let's move on to our next team in the, uh, in the previews. And um, we're going to look at the Brisbane Heat, um, who, who, are, who are a strong team. And um, they had a really solid season. They finished third. Um, they had eight wins and five losses, which is a solid record. Um, they were unfortunately one of the teams that had to go and play in Adelaide um, when it came to the COVID bubble and the finals and that sort of thing. And they, they fell short against Adelaide over there. So, you know, a little bit of misfortune they'll, they'll see there, but, um, you know, they're a really good, you know, offensive team. As I said earlier on, they love scoring runs. They love scoring big runs. And, um, you know, they often put up over 150 and they're just, you know, we talked about the Hurricanes being a must-see team in terms of bowling. A must-see team in terms of batting is the Brisbane Heat. Yeah, uh, they just score runs for fun, you know. Scored 150 on, on multiple occasions, and that's, you know, 150 wins in most games in the WBL. And I even saw some scores, you know, 190. I think they passed 200 on one occasion. So, yeah, if their batters get going, um, particularly the Harris sisters, who we'll talk about in a bit, if they get going, um, you know, there's literally no limit to the kinds of scores we could see from the Heat this year. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, there really is no limit. It could be, it could be huge. It'd be incredible. Um, so yeah, supplementing, you know, that um, that strength that they've got, um, their international players, um, they're starting off with the uh, the New Zealand sister duo of um, Amelia and Jess Kirk, um, which is definitely interesting to see. Um, two pretty talented players, 24 and uh, 21. And um, yeah, they're, they're pretty, pretty incredible when it comes to um, being able to produce results in, you know, limited overs cricket. Um, you know, that was the double century that you think about when it comes to Amelia Kerr, the youngest cricketer ever to score a double century at ODI. 
Uh, it was against Ireland, but you know, still it, to, to be able to do that at all is incredible. And um, yeah, her, her sister's no slouch either, and it's going to be going to be great to have them. Um, but it's only going to be for the first first few matches, and then later on they're going to be replaced by uh, Danny Wyatt, who's obviously a very talented player in her own right. You know, good to see her, good to have her back back in Australia, um, and um, you know, all rounder who hits hard. And um, good, good ace middle over kind of player to have, and then they've also taken interestingly uh, Pooja Vastraka, the um, the Indian bowling all rounder, um, who I don't know. I mean, she, she she can be she can be a good performer when it comes to um, short 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 form bowling. Um, averages about twenty three, which is okay. Um, and yeah, it was just interesting to see that they went that direction in terms of their import bowler. But you know, it's um. It's something different, and it's something that could definitely play a role as they as they move along in their season. Yeah, I, it's an odd choice for me. You know, like Australia has so many good young fast bowlers. We've highlighted some of them already. Um, I don't think there's any reason the Heat couldn't have you know just thrown a little bit more money at someone and, and brought them over there. Instead, they've gone to bring an overseas all rounder, um, you know, fast bowler. Uh, but not that fast either. So I think like bringing Izzy Wong over makes sense, right? Because there's no one in the world really as quick as Wong at the moment. Um, but, you know, she's she's not really as quick as, you know, even Elise Perry. And you know, obviously not going to get Elise Perry to the heat, but there's definitely fast bowlers around that could could hit those speeds. Um, maybe it's for the batting, you know, having someone that can, can hit hard and, you know, definitely takes wickets. But yeah, definitely an odd choice for me. But Danny Wyatt... It's going to be absolute class. Uh, we know we know the kind of stuff she can do. She's done it against Australia a bunch of times as well. And then the Kerr sisters, uh, a fun way to start. That's for sure. Amelia, it feels like she's been around forever, but as you said, only 21 years old. Like another one of these bowlers that started at 14. Um, everyone remembers that YouTube video of, you know, 14-year-old Amelia bowling for New Zealand. Um, and, you know, now she's added that batting dimension to her game as well. So, yeah, the heat looked really strong. Yep, yep, they, they do. And um, yep, you think of those international players and um, kind of how it will shape up. And you think about how it will shape up in terms of, you know, their, their key domestic players. And they've, they've got another set of sisters. They've got the Harris sisters. <laughs> they got Grace Harris, who's probably Australia's biggest hitter. And they got Laura Harris, who's probably Australia's biggest hitter. Yes. So <laughs> they've, got, they've got lots of power. And um, I don't think the Heat are going to have much issue when it comes to the power surge, that's for sure. Um, you know, two really dynamic, um, you know, strikers of the ball and, um, you know, really great pieces to have. They um, also have Georgia Redmayne, who is um, a very solid player, um, you know, kind of one of those players where you think she'd be in and around the Australian team. She's always around the Australian team. She's unlikely not to be in it all the time just because yeah. really, really quality um, you know, good, good batter can keep as well, which is a nice, nice piece to have. And um, then, of course, they got their their captain and everyone's everyone's favorite left arm orthodox bowler, Jess Jonathan. I mean, she's she's a great influence to have. She's she's a really, really good captain, good leader, and um, you know, big um, big advocate for Queensland cricket and um, that sort of thing. And um, she's great to have around. And um, she's quite important when it comes to bowling kind of important overs, you know, she can bowl at the death, even though she is a, you know, a lifetime orthodox spinner and um, yeah, she can, she can hit it a little bit down the order as well. So, you know, you look at the heat and you look at quality, you know, from top to bottom. Yeah. I think Jonathan's probably going to bat maybe eight or nine and can still clear the fence. So, you know, as we said, big runs are going to come for the, for the heat and, you know, even Grace Harris can bowl a little bit. So there's plenty of options there. 
But Jonathan, you know, he really keeps it tight. Um, there was a WNCL game I was watching. I think it was last week. Her first six overs went for two runs and she took a couple of wickets as well. So um, that's that kind of stuff's invaluable. You know, that's going to win your games. Um, you know, 20 or 15 balls won't win your games. But, you know, if you bowl your four overs for 15, you've got the game in the bag, basically. So, yeah, I think it really, really key there. And, you know, the Harris sisters, they're going to, they're just going to blast the ball around, which would be fun to watch. Yep. Yep. We spoke about them last week saying the, uh, the Harris household probably wasn't a fun one in terms of, uh, in terms of home insurance with windows breaking and things like that. Um, but they, they are, they are a great set to have for uh, cricket and um, yeah, it's going to be, going to be really good. And another player um, that's interesting to highlight for the Brisbane heat. So, you know, you talk about all these, you know, well-established players um, in terms of, you know, the, the success that they've had so far. Um, but, you know, you look at a young player, 19 years old, Georgia Vol scored a century in the WNCL. And she looks like the real deal in terms of, you know, a solid batting all-rounder. Yeah, 145 she made in the, the WNCL, uh, highest score of the tournament so far this year. Uh, you know, another one of these young all-rounders, you know, like the backup to Sutherland and Perry, uh, they all hit hundreds on the same day, I think. So, yeah, that was, that was incredible to see. Um, doesn't quite, you know, I don't think she hit any sixes in that 145, but if you can pierce the gap enough times, it really doesn't matter, especially in the WBBL. Uh, you'll be fine there. But, yeah, I want to really watch uh, going forward. I'm sure we'll play, play for Australia at some point, uh, probably over the next 12 months or so. For sure, for sure. I mean, it, it, it's great to have so so many good young players in the Australian system. You know, it's really exciting um, just to see and, you know, hear about and that sort of thing. Um, so the key to victory for the Brisbane Heat probably unsurprisingly, is to bat the games into oblivion. And by that, I mean put up big scores, put them up fast, and, you know, just kind of give the team no chance to chase. Or if they're chasing, just kind of, you know, chase it within 12 overs, we all get home before nine. That's nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, that's going to be their, their key. And, um, you know, with the calibre of player they have, in addition to, you know, the, the exciting international players they have coming through, it's gonna be gonna be hard to beat. It's gonna be hard to hard to uh, stop the Brisbane Heat when it comes to their their best performances. And um, yeah, it's going to be definitely definitely they're gonna be a big time team, and they're gonna gonna compete with those top teams. They maybe won't quite be top two um, because there's you know we mentioned the strikers earlier. There's some very talented teams in the WBBL, but I think they'll certainly be in the finals, and they'll definitely be ankle biting those very top teams. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the top four, certainly top two, possibly it depends on those batters, but if you're top four, all you need is a couple of, a couple of games, you know, your batters do really well. And then all of a sudden you've got your hands on the trophy. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, top four is a certainty. It just depends on what they can do in those knockout games. Awesome. Uh, we'll move on to perhaps the most underrated side. Uh, they kind of just, you know, fly under what everyone's thinking most of the time and, Part of that's just because their men's side is terrible. Um, and that's the Renegades. Uh, you know, they might have been better than the Scorchers or Strikers last year. They were probably the most um, complete side. I know the, the Scorchers really rely on a couple of batters and the Strikers did the same last year. But, uh, you know, finished second ladder, eight wins, four losses. That's a really solid season. But, you know, got bowled out for 83 in the Challenger final and you bowled out for 83, um, your season's over. So, that's that's how how it ended for them. Um, their losses were really big though, and that was that was kind of the issue. You know, once 
uh, they got on the back foot. It, it kind of fell away. Um, but their wins scored very heavily. So when they're on top, they're right on top. But when they're down the bottom, it, it kind of just fell away for them. Yeah, I'd say the Renegades in terms of WBBL are unequivocally the biggest momentum team. So like you said, when they're going well, they're going very well. When they're not going well, they're really not going well. Um, and I think, I guess, a matter of how they progress is trying to balance that out. Um, you know, you don't need to win by 50 runs every game. You know, you can win by three wickets and still win, you know. Three points is three points, as they say in um in the in the football world, and um obviously the points work a little bit differently in the BBL, but you know, um wins a win, and um if it's a close win, you know that just shows that you've got that mental strength as well as that technical strength, and I think um kind of that mentality will be will be the key moving along for the Renegades. Yeah, absolutely. More consistency is, is really the answer there. Uh, the, some interesting selections with their overseas players, perhaps uh, you know the three most complete players in that they have like an all-and-out bowler, uh, a batter, and, and then an all-rounder as well. So uh, Sharp and Ismail was the, uh, the bowler there, just absolutely one of the quickest in the world. Um, if you remember back to the, the World Cup in Australia, she was just incredibly quick, um, especially on Australian pitches, just just amazing stuff, obviously, from South Africa. The other one there, Harman Preet Kaur is coming back, which is, you know, massive for the Renegades. She hit over 400 runs last year, um, you know, and has been since taking on that Indian captaincy has been really good in, in the ODI and T20 formats as well. So has really taken a cricket to another level since the last big bash. And then the last one's Hayley Matthews, you know, good to see West Indian players out here and, you know, can vital uh, middle order hitting will take advantage of that power surge, much like Deandre Dodden's going to do at the, uh, at the strikers. And then, you know, bowling some spin as well. So uh, offering a little bit of everything there. Yeah, a little bit of everything for sure. And, um, yeah, you mentioned core and the batting is obviously what you think of um, the leadership qualities. Yeah. And, yeah, that's um, that's probably the key highlight I'd look at in terms of the international players. But, yeah, Ishmael is obviously an X factor with the, uh, with the, with the speed and everything like that. And then um, Hayley Matthews is a great player to watch. Um, you know, she was always ace for the West Indies, and um, she's going be, gonna to be good to see, important that power surge. And, yeah, that's going to be exciting. I think you've hit on something there with the – uh, the idea of core bowling, um, you know, in the WBBL, players aren't clearing the ropes as often as they do in men's cricket. So if you're bowling a part-timer, you're not going to go for 30 runs. It's, that's just not going to happen. You, you might go for 12 at most. Um, and that you could probably pr- deal with, you know, a couple of times in a season. So, you know, giving having multiple bowling options, as a lot of these teams do, uh, I know the Victorian WNCL side, uh, use nine bowlers the other day. Um, they might not might not happen in the WBBL, but you know having options is always good. And uh, there's a lot more uh, all rounders in women's cricket than men's cricket, that's for sure. Um, some of those that are going to be key for the uh, the Renegades, though Sophie Molyneux really needs to improve her batting. You know, just 15 with the bat last year, but you know 10 wickets. But really, it's the economy rate that's important with Molyneux. 5.85. You know, keeping things tight, much like Jess Jonathan does with the heat, the ability to uh, not allow your opposition to, to get away from you, especially during those middle middle overs. Um, now that the surge is there, we might see about one of those overs as well. So, uh, yeah, I think she's going to be really key. And then, you know, Taylor Lamanek is, uh, she's moved on from the Hurricanes, another one of these quick bowlers. So the Renegades are really, they're going to be spearheaded by a, uh, a twin pairing of, of quick bowlers. And that's good to see. And then the leggy, uh, as we've said before, we all love a leggy and, and Georgia Wareham's in their side. And uh, we're hoping 
to be put her hand up for Australia again. You know, there's plenty of legs in that lineup, though, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, we love a leg spinner. And um, the more the merrier, I say. Um, yeah, um, yeah, you speak about Molyneux and um, in terms of um, producing with the bat in T20 and that sort of thing um, hasn't quite been up to standard. But I think she's been showing signs of getting there. And I think, you know, I think she's very close to being a true all-rounder. And this this could be the season where she shows that, yeah, she is that true all-rounder and she can she can do it all. Um, I think, you know, in terms of experience, she's got that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's nice, nice to be a feature point in a bowling lineup. Um, before she was maybe more of a key, now she's more of a feature. And I think that'll probably open things up for her a bit more. Um, especially with, you know, what Vlaminek's doing and, um, you know, the 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 X factor of the leg spin, Georgia Wareham. Yeah, absolutely. And then on to the, the younger player that's going to, I think, make a big impact this year, and that's Courtney Webb. Dual code player, also plays in the uh, AFLW, so good to see uh, these players moving across code still. Uh, needs to improve her batting, obviously, but, uh, you know, nine wickets at 20 last year, not great numbers, but... Um, someone who I think's you know really on the improve and you know has chosen cricket over football at this point. I think you know the competition's at a point where you can't be doing both. Yeah, obviously the AFLW is still going, so um, yeah, not able to do that. But I think we'll be we're really vital with the ball and and uh, provide a point of difference. Yeah, it's tricky with the scheduling in terms of AFLW and you know WBBL and that sort of thing. Um, unfortunately, it's often the case with women's sport. You know, they kind of. Uh, are these elite athletes and they, you know, try their hand at a few different things and, you know, they're talented enough to be elite level of both of these things. But yeah, ultimately, you know, when it comes to scheduling, you have to become a specialist and, um, you know, she, she looks like she's taken the, taken the path of being a cricketing specialist. And, um, you know, I think that's good for the game of cricket. She's talented, you know, I mean, you said nine wickets at 20, sure, not spectacular, but that's pretty solid in terms of, you know, average and that sort of thing. You know, when you, when you have someone averaging 20 in, um, T20 as far as bowling you'll take that you know um I think she has a pretty solid strike rate as well when it comes to you know like the amount of balls she um bowls in terms of the wickets she takes um that obviously factors into the average and um yeah she's she's definitely that rising star to look at um especially considering you know you know she's got the got the athletic background and um she's got the uh the all the tools to be to be a really key player yeah, absolutely. You know, these these dual-code athletes are, are still a feature women's sport, which is good. Obviously, Susie Bates, uh, Olympic Olympian basketballer as well. So uh, that's good to see. The, the key for the Renegades, though, I think it's in those those fast bowlers. If they're able to, you know, crank the speed gun right up, hit 120s, you're going to blast through a lot of top orders. And from there, um, it doesn't matter if they can't score massive scores because, you know, they're only going to be chasing 120s. And when you're doing that, you'll win mo- like nine times out of 10. So... Yeah, it's really those quick bowlers that will be the the key. And I think if if those come off, uh, I think the top four finish is probably probably where they end up. I'm not sure they get as high as one or two, maybe the bottom half of that top four or maybe slide down to fifth. But I think they're definitely going to be competitive. Uh, but yeah, not quite scorchers or strikers level. Yeah, they're another one of those sort of um, ankle biters. You know, you feel like they're a step away from being, being that, yeah. that big ace team. But you know they've they've made some made some good choices in terms of you know what players they're bringing along, um, what changes they've made to the uh, to the lineup, and um, it's going to be interesting interesting to see, and it's going to be a be a positive season I think, and um, that'll be that'll be really good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you uh, take us through the last team, and that is the Perth Scorchers. Yep, no worries. Yep, we're going to... A few would probably argue that we're saving the best to last, and uh, that is the Perth Scorchers. They uh, they were the best in terms of um, league performance last year. Nine wins, three losses, top of the top of the ladder. Um, and they got they got to the uh, to the final, and um, yeah, they managed to uh, to produce the win. You know, they got a twelve one win in the final. Um, they got a home final, which is nice to them. And um, yeah, they they're the team to beat. They're they're the top dog. They're huge, and um, you know, you look at you look at the highlights. You'll probably look at the batting in terms of Beth Mooney, who you know we talk about Talia McGrath being a cheat code. Beth Mooney is very much also a cheat code. Um, you said in terms of the WNCL, it's unfair to have her on your team, yes. and it's unfair <laughs> to have her on your team in the Big Bash as well. She's yeah. she's just that level of talent, that elite batter, and. Um, Sophie Devine as well had a, had a good season, put up 442 runs, which is one of the leading run scorers as well. And yeah, they're just hugely dynamic. The Scorchers, really dangerous, and um, I think they're going to, you know, take the same sort of steps this year. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time last year saying uh, I'm not quite sure the Scorchers can do it. Like I, I don't see how they can rely on Moody and Devine every game, uh, and then they did it every game. Um, and you know they were they were just too good in the end, and you know, ran over the strikers in the final. But uh, I'll say it again. I'm not sure Sophie Devine and Beth Moody can do it all year. Like, uh, eventually, that plan of having essentially two batters and then a bunch of, you know, like average middle-order players and then all-rounders, uh, it can't can't work forever. But as as you said, Beth Moody is a cheat code, so uh, you never know what's going to happen there. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a valid point, and um, you know, it's something to take into account, especially when you consider their overseas players. So they're they're bringing Divine back, so you know they've got they've got their other batter. So that's that's something that they've got going on. Um, and then they're they're bringing in Marazan Cap, who can do a little bit with the bat, but probably more known for um what she produces with the ball. And um, then they also got Maddie Green, um, who's a who's a solid player. Um, and uh, yeah, um. What's interesting about Maddie Green is she's kind of known as being kind of a patient sort of sort of batsman and that sort of thing, um, which is great, you know, good, good good trait to have. But in T20, you want to score fast. You know, we spoke about Perry <laughs> earlier and you're not sure if Maddie Green has that in her. So it's an interesting choice um, in terms of overseas players that they've selected. But, you know, I think I think they're good. They're good choices and they're uh, they're good players that can definitely have an impact when it comes to their season. Yeah, uh, I just want to point out Matty Green's stats here. So 657 T20i runs at an average of 14 and a strike rate of 94. Like, uh, And she's only taken one wicket in the past. It's not like she's bowling a lot either. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that's a great selection from the Scorchers. Um, but, you know, you never know. Like, experience... Uh, Experience can uh, can push people to to new heights, and maybe you know Maddie Green will um you know batting in the middle. Maybe it's a uh, a decision to have her in for the power surge. I'm not too sure, but I think on Optus Stadium, you know, it's a very big stadium. If they play many games there, even the Wacker, um, you know, is a big ground, and you know, pushing twos will be really important as well. So uh, I think you know it is what it is. But you know, Cap and Divine, they're they're really the stars there, aren't they? And if you've got you know. Mooney, Divine, and Cap in the top three. Uh, it's yeah, I think the Scorchers would be really good again. 
yeah, yeah, Cap Cap is is definitely that top level all rounder. You know, can do it all, and um, you know they'll be hoping she will do it all. Um, because like you said, Divine and uh, Mooney can't can't do it every time. Although maybe yeah. they can do it again. Um, so moving along to uh, the the key Australian players. So there's obviously you know Mooney as we spoke about, and um, the other key players. Um, you'd think um, you look at you know Australia's ace leg spinner. We love a leg spinner. It's Alana King. Um, in terms of WBBL stats, Alana King hasn't actually set the world alight in terms of average, um, but she has taken a few wickets. Um, she consistently takes wickets, and she obviously came off, you know, huge form in the 100 and great form in the Commonwealth Games. Um, and, you know, every time you see Alana King, she's just looking better. She's that level of player, you know. Every time you see her bowl, she pulls out something slightly different. You go, oh, I didn't know she had that. And, you know, it's... um. It's great to have. Um, she's probably, you know, that that lead when it comes to uh, the Scorchers bowling attack. And, um, yeah, she's going to be crucially important as well. And then um, another player to uh, to highlight is um, Chloe Paparo, who um, is the captain of WA in the WNCL. Um, you know, great leader um, in terms of Australian cricket and that sort of thing. And um, she's just she's just going to be able to, you know, chip in where she can and just be that sort of solid experience presence and like you know that mind behind behind all the flash and the glory that um, is the, uh, you know, the Mooney and the Divine and that sort of thing. And you know, having having that sort of player is going to be very important. And um, you know, being able being able to have different kind of you know influences in the locker room, I think speaks quite a lot. And, you know, Perth has always been quite big about having good culture and a good influence. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, she's definitely underrated, um, obviously not in like, not in the Australian selector sites, but, you know, to get to captain of your, of your state is obviously a, a big thing and, and you must have plenty of skill to do that. I only averages something like 11 in T20 cricket, but, you know, obviously starved of opportunity uh, playing for the Scorchers, you know, Mooney and Divine are batting, what 18 of the 20 overs most of the time and then Paparo's batting five or six so yeah not really um getting the opportunity that she probably deserves and as you said Alana King I think this is going to be her year in the big bash um you said her average isn't that great I think that's going to change this time um has really you know taken the next step yeah while playing in England over the over the winter and we'll come back to Australia we've already seen it in the WNCL took a five for and uh you know I think it was four wickets in the over like you have to be a gun to be able to do that. And I think she'll be, she'll be, um, yeah, definitely one to watch this time around. For sure. For sure. So, um, you know, you think a lot about Scorchers players, you think about experience and that sort of thing, but um, one young player who um, we're definitely quite interested in and quite invested in is um, Georgia Wiley, of course, famously the sister of a uh, recent Centurion Teague Wiley. And um, yeah, she's, she, she looks like a very talented, talented young player. And um you know, it'll be interesting. Hopefully they give her a bit of a run in terms of um, being selected in the lineup and that sort of thing, um, because I think she's capable of being being a really important player. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's going to be uh, in this WA and, and Scorchers team for the next you know, 15 years. And uh, this could be the year where she finally, you know, breaks out. I think she's, what, 18 or 19 now, same age as Teague. So, yeah, um, that family is very talented, as we talk about a little bit with Teague, but... Uh, yeah, she's um, definitely one to watch with the bat. Yeah. So the key to victory for the Perth Scorchers, um, it's 
we'll call it the thousand run key to victory. Um, that is, of course, Beth Mooney and Sophie Devine at the very top. If they're putting up big totals, you know, chasing or, you know, opening the batting and that sort of thing, then they're going to be great again. And, you know, looking at form and looking at, at the way, you know, those two conduct themselves, you, you it feels more likely than not that they're going to do it again. And um, I feel like that's kind of, kind of, you know, that's where Perth are going to get their victories and that's where Perth have gotten their victories in terms of their success last season. Absolutely, yeah. The, 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 as you said, a 1,000 runs, and I think that's probably the mark again. Um, it's going to be a higher-scoring season this year, I think, with with the power surge. But if those two can combine for a 1,000 runs, depending, like, it doesn't matter in what uh, permutation that is, whether it's, you know, 700 for Mooney, 300 Divine, or 500 each. But I think that's, that's the mark they have to be hitting. That's the KPI. And if they do that, they probably win the competition again. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, you think about that. And if they're able able to do that, then, you know, they'll definitely make the finals. And, um, you know, if if they hit that hit that thousand run mark, they'll be very confident going into the finals. And you could totally see them winning the competition again. You could see them finishing on top of the ladder again. And I feel like they are going to finish on top of the ladder again. Yeah, me too. Uh, so that's all eight teams. That was a, a very long part, but definitely worth it. Let's move into some bigger predictions. Uh, most likely team to win most runs in the competition, most wickets in the competition, and a rising star. Go for it, Callum. Sure. So, um, look, I think most likely to win is Perth. Um, you know, I just look at Beth Mooney uh, and I think, wow, best, best cricketer in terms of T20 impact. Um, in the world and you know I, I just I feel like she's going to do it again um, when it comes to most runs in the competition um, while I would normally you know think yeah I'm going to look at Mooney again um, there is quite a few other talents and um, oh I, I had a few a few players that I was looking at in terms of like candidates of who would be the big the big run scorers and um, I think this year it's going to be Alyssa Healy I think she's going to take the uh, take the uh reigns of being being the key batter of Sydney Sixers and she's going to be going to be the reason that they're competitive she's going to put up big totals and I think she's gonna gonna kind of put it right back together it's probably a bit of a bold prediction considering how she's been going lately but you know she's former temporary class is permanent and I think she's a class player cool and then let's see what else most wickets um yeah, I mean, you like looking at leg spinners for these ones, for sure. But I think I'm going to go for a pace ball. I'm going to go for Darcy Brown. I think she's going to gonna take a look at, you know, she, she's been developing. She's she's being looked at at that next big thing in terms of Australian fast bowling. She's going to look at the season as the opportunity to cement herself as, yes, I am the strike bowler. I am the best Australian fast bowler. And you need to select me in every side. Um, so I think that's kind of the direction we're going in terms of most wickets in the competition um, and, you know, pace kills. <laughs> and um, yeah. you'll definitely definitely see that, um, you know, throughout, throughout the comp. Um, I suppose one other thing you'd look at is um, who would be like, I don't know, a candidate for the most improved player or that sort of thing, um, kind of the rising star. And um, I kind of look at that and um, I look at a lot of young bowlers and I think the big one for me is going to be Lauren Cheadle. I think she's gonna gonna also produce in terms of you know that success for the um the Sydney the Sydney team, and um I think you know having that left arm pace um she carries herself quite confidently 
Um, and, you know, she's quite experienced, even though she's only 23. Um, I think she's going to have that breakout season and um, be, be that kind of bowling ace. Yeah, they're, they're all good calls. I think I'm going to disagree with some of it, though. I think the strikers are going to win. Um, you know, they got so close last time. And uh, I think they've, they've just made that side even better with Deandra Dodden coming in. So I, I can't go past them. They're really a, a, much, um, a much fuller side than the Scorchers. That being said, Beth Mooney will score the most runs again. Uh, just, you know, she gets so much opportunity at the Scorchers. Really good decks over there as well. And, uh, yeah, as he said, cheat code, all of that kind of thing. Uh, the Wickets, Leggy again, also for the Strikers. And that is a man of Jade Wellington. Um, kind of plays second fiddle to Alana King now. But I th- as I think I've been through it before in the podcast, I think they could both play for Australia together. Uh, and I think she'll, she'll show that this year by taking a ton of Wickets. And then it's off to Brisbane for the for the rising star, and that's Georgia Vol. Um, I was really impressed by that 145 for Queensland, and yeah, I, I can't go past that for the uh, WBBL. Yeah, yeah, those are all good calls as well. Yeah, thinking about Vol, and you know, you, you see that stuff on social media. Oh, seeing Elise Perry score 100. Oh, seeing Elise Perry's replacement score 100. Yeah. Oh, seeing Elise Perry's replacement's replacement score 100, <laughs> and. Um, you know, it's a maybe a slightly cynical way to look at look at the Australian um you know top order batting batting lineup, but yeah, she's she's really talented, and I'm you know I think those are all pretty pretty solid calls when it comes to comes to those predictions. Absolutely, I think we've done enough on the WBBL for the minute though, so let's move on to uh, six are out. We'll break up the serious stuff with a bit of fun, uh, and the first question is based off Matthew Wade's uh, theatrics yesterday, and that is. Should the umpires take dismissals completely out of the players' hands, uh, essentially getting rid of appeals? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, especially because I always think about the incident where, you know, it was a test match, Nathan Lyon bowled, it got nicked behind, but no one appealed. And the umpire was so close to calling it out, but he didn't because no one appealed. So um, I think appealing is a big part of the game um, in cricket. And I think it's um, something that's going to stay. Um, obviously, the extent to which you appeal um, does mean something. And um, it's something worth looking at in terms of, you know, behavior, guidelines, that sort of thing. But, you know, I don't see appealing going away. And nor do I think it should. Have there been too many T20 warm-up um, competitions? You know, like, there's been so many different series all over the place, all over the world. I get it. The World Cup's coming, right? But... Surely it's a little it's a little over the top, is it not? Uh, I think it's definitely over the top. I, I think it was Rick from the ABC, their uh, cricket statistician, put out a uh, the amount of T20s that have been played this year, and it's something like four hundred already, and that's before the World Cup's been played. So, yeah, there, there's just too many T20s. I don't think you need to be playing warm ups uh, three months out from a tournament. Uh, especially T20 cricket. There's like, there's IPL, there's enough T20 cricket around for players to warm up with. Um, yeah. And, you know, a seven match T20 series, as fun as that was in, in Pakistan, I, I just don't think that was really necessary. Um, overall, this is too much cricket. You know, the Indian T20 team played a uh, warm up game in WA today. And tomorrow night, their team has a ODI against South Africa. Like, what's going? We don't need to be playing two countries uh, in two continents, you know? That's um, it's just too much. Uh, someone who's been in some really good form as of late, David Warner. But uh, is he Australia's greatest all format opener? Oh, 
all format opener. That's tough to say. Um, look, he's definitely in the conversation just in terms of the numbers he's produced, the sustained, prolonged success that he's had. You know, he's never really had a major drop off in form or anything. I mean, obviously, he had the moment away from cricket due to, you know, the complications with the, uh, well, I say complications due to the sandpaper scandal. Um, but, you know, he came back in, he was impactful before he was impactful. He's always impactful. And I think that's a big thing you look in, look at an openers and he's under all three formats. So I don't know if he's the very best, but he's in the conversation, no doubt. What rules would you introduce in terms of, of lineups? Like, would you, we talked about maybe having special, like kind of local international players. Um, what kind of rules would you introduce to kind of maybe make the league a little bit more interesting in terms of um, the demographics it hits? Uh, I'd make sure that you have at least one of your overseas be from an associate country, whether that's, uh, you know, Thailand or even Zimbabwe. Maybe you expand what an associate country is for the purpose of women's cricket. Um, and then you can have uh, like Bangladesh players in there or, or stuff like that. Um, there's, there's just a distinct lack of like, it's basically Australia, England, uh, there's some Kiwis here and then there's two from the West Indies, right? It's not really a, a global competition. And we saw like fair break early in the year. That was a properly global tournament. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really what I'd be looking for. But I'd also just increase the amount of international players. I, I don't think you really need to limit. Like if the Australian players are good enough to be in the side, they'll get picked every time. Like no one's kicking out a lease Perry from a side, for instance. So if you want to, if you have the money, like if you can fit it in your salary cap to have, five players from India come over, then uh, then go for it. I think that's probably, you know, the way cricket's going in the end anyway. I think that's how the IPL will do it in, you know, a decade's time when they're running all the cricket in the world. Yep, yep, that's a good call. Um, yep, and we'll uh, we'll have to make sure to put our names in the auction when it comes to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so, nice. Yeah, awesome. Uh, the World Cup qualifiers of least start, I think, Thursday's that first one as well. Uh which of those qualifying teams do you think are going to make it through to the, the main event? Oh, I don't know. You've put me on the spot a bit here. Um, the qualifiers are probably the most interesting I've ever seen them be um, in terms of, you know, what teams are in them. Um, and, yeah, it's just, oh, I find T20 cricket hard to predict at the best of times, um, even when it comes to, you know, Australia versus Zimbabwe, I would still consider May Zimbabwe would be with, in with a chance. Um, so, yeah, I, I I really don't know. I'm sorry to give, give you that answer, but, yeah, I just – I can't predict it. I can't predict it. Who do you think? Who do you think will qualify? I think the West Indies make it through that tournament, probably the Dutch and the Irish as well. Um, that last spot's really – like, I'd like to see Namibia get through. I think that would be a lot of fun. David Weiser will be uh, his fun one to watch. Yeah, that's that's a good call. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you'd you'd feel like it. West Indies were missing if they didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good call. Anyways, my last question is that wraps up six are out for everyone. Uh, quite a few stories around. We'll start off with Australia's T Twenty stuff. Uh, they beat the West Indies pretty comfortably, and then the West Indies were. Uh, uh, I wrote dominated on the runs down. That's not quite true. Like one bowler took a five for, but. Uh, it was closer than the West Indies would have liked against the UAE um, and just unfortunate because, you know, the West Indies are meant to be this powerhouse of cricket. Yeah, yeah, it is unfortunate. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty wild in terms of, you know, success and that sort of thing. Um, 
yeah, you you want to you want to see them doing maybe a bit more than they have been doing lately, but you know that's ultimately up to you know their coaching and their their team system and that sort of thing. And um, I don't really know enough about it to say how they'd be able to fix it, but there's there's obviously something that needs to be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe bringing Andre Russell and someone to run in would help a little bit. Um, then Australia played England off in away in Perth. Australia left all of their bowlers over here and Glenn Maxwell as well. It's like their top five wicket takers in T20 cricket all sitting in uh, Queensland while this T20 was being played. And uh, England obviously got over the top with uh, Australia's second string bowling lineup. But someone that wasn't second string was Nathan Ellis. He took three for 15 from his four overs. And it feels like Australia should probably have him in the World Cup squad. Certainly does feel that way. Um, especially, you know, he's he's produced, you know, quite a bit lately. Um I guess part of it's they're worried about um, kind of, you know, team fits and team chemistry and that sort of thing. Ellis is relatively new to the setup and that sort of thing. So they'd probably worry about like kind of how they structure the team, how they structure, how they bowl their overs and that sort of thing. So there's probably an element of that, but yeah, I mean, based on form alone, he should be in the team. Um, and yeah, it's uh, uh, for some reason, I, I don't feel like they're going to add him to it. And yeah, I think we're not going to see him, which is disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of other questions around the squad, obviously, and that's Aaron Finch. Uh, he's hit 58, 15, and 12 uh, in the uh, well, since coming back to Australia. Do you think that's enough to to secure his spot for the World Cup? Um, I think because he's the captain of the T20 team, yes, that is enough. Um, <laughs> if if he'd if he'd uh, if he'd had three failures, then you'd probably definitely be asking questions. But he looked pretty good in the 58. And in his 15, he was a bit unlucky. Um, look, no, I, I, I don't think there's any questions about Aaron Finch in terms of his position in the T20 side for the World Cup. There's definitely questions in terms of the future, but that's, that's, that's a problem for after the World Cup. You know, um, this, is, this is probably what you'd view as his last hurrah. And, you know, he, he, wants to have, he wants to be able to play throughout the tournament. And I think he will be given that opportunity. Yeah, he's obviously moved around the order a little bit as well, you know, batted at three and four, so um, not in his preferred position. And, and that 58, as you said, a little bit slow, but did look good there. Um, the other question has been Cameron Green and, and how he kind of fits into the Australian team. He has been given that opening role and, you know, hasn't really done as well as he has, like, did in India uh, in, since he's come back to Australia. I don't know. I, I think, you know, Green's obviously a really good player and someone they're looking to for the future. But if the idea is to drop... Uh, Marcus Stoinis out of the team. He hit 33 off 15 yesterday. I, I just don't think Green's quite at that level. The option might be, and, and the whispers are that Ashton Agar's injury is a proper injury and he could drop out of the uh, the squad to bring Green in. Um, yeah, I mean, if that's the case, if Agar's injured, then Green's definitely good at filling that role. Um, I think Green definitely has potential to be a solid, you know, bowling option in terms of T20. Um, you know, he's obviously not all that proven and he needs to, you know, sort out kind of how he approaches that sort of format. And I think that's the big thing with Green. You know, he just needs to kind of sort out his mentalities in terms of what he's doing in each format. And um, he's very nervous when he plays in Australia. We saw that again when he's come back. And, you know, he just needs to needs to kind of loosen up a bit and just sort of, sort of, you know, take it as he goes, listens to his coaches, listen to advice of, you know, various players he's got, and then just, you know, play his game, keep practicing. And, you know, it he's got the talent. It will come eventually. And um, probably being in and around that squad, even if he doesn't play, is um, is valuable experience. 
I think you hit on something there with the nervousness in Australia. I think uh, we both pointed out after those Indian games that he looked uh, like kind of comfortable and relaxed at the crease. And then he's come back to Australia and all of a sudden it's all stiff again. Um, you know, he is, I don't know, his shots don't look as, uh, as smooth or as pure. It all just looks a bit, a bit tight. And maybe it is playing in Australia. That's the issue. Um, I hope that's not the case because we obviously want to see him to have a long career and you know, if you're not playing well in Australia, you're just not going to get picked for Australia. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, no, look, I think it's just a confidence issue. I think, um, you know, he feels pressure being in Australia and being, you know, the next big thing. And I could understand that, you know. I, I feel pressure when, um, you know, I post a tweet that has, you know, like less than 50 impressions. I'm like, oh, why did this one do so badly? Um, so I can't imagine how it feels being, you know, that huge scale cricketer and being even younger than I am. Um, so, you know, it'll come, it'll come in time. And um, I'm, I'm not particularly worried in terms of Cam Green's future in the Australian team. Um, I think everyone's behind him and um, everyone wants to see him succeed. Yeah, all I can say about Cam Green is in the one game I played against him, he made a first ball duck and I made seven. So who should really be in the team? Um, we'll move over to India, though. A couple of uh, T20s there. India won that 2-1. Um, Rishabh Pant opened the batting in the final match, uh, but it, it does look like Dinesh Kartik is taking that, that Indian uh, wicket-keeping spot for the World Cup. Yes. I think the straight and narrow of it is he's a better wicketkeeper, so they're taking yep. the better <laughs> wicketkeeper. And I think that's very sensible because the position on the, on the uh, on the card, you know, some people say, oh, it's wicketkeeper batsman. It's not. It's wicketkeeper. You're selecting a wicketkeeper, take your best wicketkeeper. And that's that's what, what they're doing, and I'm totally behind the choice. Yeah, especially, you know, T20 cricket, you're batting at seven. If you're batting at seven, you're facing, what, 10 balls on a good night? maybe 20 if, if the team's in trouble. So, yeah, it's just about instant impact. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, though, India is playing another series against South Africa. That's the ODI I series, while the T20 Cup, uh, T20 series is in Australia. It's, it's all a bit complicated and too many teams playing. But uh, India dominated that game overnight with Shreyas I hitting 100 and Ishan Kishan with 93. There's some, uh, like, a, it's a really strong Indian batting lineup, obviously, and, you know, to have a second team that can beat... South Africa's full-strength squad, they're, uh, they're doing really well. Yeah, just the strength and depth that the Indian batting lineup in particular have is just incredible. And, um, you know, you talked about the BCCI trying to dominate world cricket. I mean, that's part, kind of part of how you do it. If your second team is beating one of the best teams in the world, that's something you got to look at and be like, oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, no, they're truly a powerhouse when it comes to international cricket. Absolutely. And then the, the other question is Temba Bavuma. He's obviously playing for South Africa. Uh, he didn't play that ODI, but in the T20 stuff, he made two ducks and then a score of three. He's the captain. He didn't make the uh, selection of the T20 domestic tournament. He really shouldn't be in that squad at all, should he? He's not a T20 player. That's not what he's meant to. That's not what he's, not, not what he's there for. He's, he yeah. feels like a test specialist. He's in there for his influence. And look, that's good. That's great to see. Um, but you can't have a captain who is probably your worst batter in the lineup in terms yeah. of T20 success. That's just, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. And, um, you know, look, it's unfortunate, um, but, yeah, he just hasn't hasn't performed when it's come to come to that particular format, and they probably need to look at a different option. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David Miller led the squad against India in the, the last tour and did really well. I think that's probably the answer, but... 
he's still there. And I think um, the reason he's there is because he's captain, right? That's pretty obvious. And I think South Africa kind of missed a trick by not making him test captain rather than like the ODI and T20 captain. I think that was the issue. Um, they obviously chose Dean Elgar, who's a good test captain, no doubt about that. But uh, Bavuma would also be a good test captain and then he wouldn't have to be picked in the T20 squad. Um, there's also, you know, South Africa has quotas and that kind of thing that they've got to fill. Uh, and unfortunately for, for Bavuma, that's going to get thrown at him every time he's selected in T20 cricket now. And that's, that's not what you want. Um, we'll move closer to Australia, though, and that's Teague Wiley. Mentioned it about seven times already. Uh, he might become the new T- Tim David. Uh, <laughs> he hit a century in the shield. He's 18 years old and about seven foot four. He's a big guy, isn't he? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, he played really well. It was a really, really good innings to watch. Um, and, yeah, um, I think I think a lot of... A lot of what drew attention from that wasn't so much the performance. I mean, the performance drew a lot of attention. You know, that was big time and everything like that. You know, you wrote about it, you know, kind of kind of a historic moment. But then afterwards, it was his reaction that kind of took um, took a bit more of the forefront. Yeah, so he, uh, he said that tax accountants don't celebrate tax returns, so why shouldn't it be celebrating hundreds? I'm, I'm not quite sure that's the attitude to take into it, but he's only young and, and that's what it is, is what it is. Um, but, yeah, really good player. Um, plays at the same club I used to play at, and uh, I think how old, how old is he? Probably six years younger than I am, and uh, there was definitely a lot of talk about him when he was like nine or ten years old that he was already going to be this gun. So yeah, good to see him finally, finally getting there at 18 and... Yeah, I don't think he's going to be playing much more club cricket because there's uh, there's definitely some bigger things coming his way. Um, the other Shield results, though, South Australia batted out a, a draw on day four, so that's good. They finally didn't lose a game. Uh, Henry Hunt, 93 not out, really showing that he's kind of, uh, I'd say, the next cab off the rank in terms of test openers. Yeah, look, um, Henry Hunt's been kind of, you know, on the tip of the tongue for a few years now in terms of, you know, what's the solution for test opener? Because, you know, we've always kind of, Felt a bit unsteady at test opener, you know. Oh, Warner's not going to go forever. Warner's kind of gone on forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, but but who, who do we have have to play around Warner? Oh, it doesn't matter if he's making 150s. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, when you look at like, you know, a batsman that's got the qualities of a good test opener, you know, being able to get your eye in, being able to play the swing, you know. Um, being able to play the really fast pitch when it's really bouncy and that sort of thing. Um, Henry Hunt's got it all. And um, yeah. he's, I, I would, I would be shocked if he wasn't in the test team in the next three years, if not sooner. Yeah. You'll see hundred against uh, Sri Lanka A for Australia A on that tour. So he can play in spinning conditions as well. And, and I think probably sooner than that, I think if there's a spot this summer or um, after that tour of India as well, even if it's just as a squad player, He'll, he'll be there, that's for sure. Um, there's some other centuries, though. Manus hit another century. That's not really news. That's just what happens every week. Um, Jimmy Pearson also hit 100, though, in Queensland's win over Tassie. Um, you know, really good keeper. Probably unlucky that Alex Carey's just ahead of him still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always feel kind of sad about Pearson, like, whenever I see him play all the time. You know, he's a good player, and he always, you know, has pretty nice highlight performances and that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, he's just, he's just, he's at the wrong time. We've talked about a few players that are at the wrong time and uh, Pearson's unfortunately at the wrong time. And um, yeah, but you know, it's good, it's good that he got, got that big, that big performance. And um, you know, he's, he's looked at as a big, important domestic leader in terms of um, Australian cricket. And um, look, I think his, his role 
in, in terms as an Australian cricketer, even if it isn't as an international Australian cricketer, still really important. And, um, you know, I think as long as he's making big scores, he'll still be in conversations and, you know, he's a, uh, he's good. He's a good gloveman. And um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see players like that get success. Yeah. He pretty much does everything that Alex Carey does. Uh, I don't know, just a little bit better, just a little bit worse. I'm not sure. It's probably pretty much the same, right? They're both good batters, both good white ball batters. Uh, Pearson obviously captains the heat, um, you know, and both good glovemen. And then, both can captain Alex Carey, captain Australia, and Jimmy Pearson, captains all formats for Queensland. So, yeah, it's a it's a really tight battle, but one that Carey's just got. I'm not sure why. Uh, AFL background might help. Uh, seems to help with pretty much everything else. Uh, the other game was Western Australia beating New South Wales by eight wickets. WA winning games. It's not like out of the ordinary, but that was a it's a pretty weak looking New South Wales team. Really, like we're we're pretty used to New South Wales dominating Shield cricket. Uh, that is not the case this year. Yep, it's a fall from grace for New South Wales. Um, yeah, I don't really know. They just um, they don't seem to have have their have the mental side of their game kind of put together. You know, they maybe yeah. start having like a decent innings, and then oh, they'll lose a wicket, and then all their shoulders will drop, and all their heads will drop. And you know, body language is a big thing in cricket, and they're just not really showing the best positive body language when it comes to their performances, and um, it's definitely translating in terms of their results. Yeah, WA is looking really strong. This is going to be an odd one, but but hear me out here. I think there's a case to be made with the WA mining boom that it has created excellent sportsmen coming out of there. Uh, a lot of these guys have come out of the same private schools, which all cost a lot of money, and that has come from mining dollars. So I think that's that's part of the reason WA is so strong at the moment. Um, I might have a deeper look into that one at some point, though. The last thing to touch on in this episode that's gone for about three and a half weeks is uh, is Tim Payne. He made six and 29, not out on his return to Shield cricket. Uh, capped very well as well. I think he took five catches in that last Tassie innings as well. So um, looks like he's back at the level he belongs at. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, look, I think at least for a little bit, it's going to be just domestic cricket for him for a bit. And I think that's good. I think that's, um, you know, an idea to reintroduce him to the, to the system, to the network, to the framework, and um, just, you know, kind of, kind of slowly, slowly, gently, gently kind of, you know, nudging him back towards that direction. Um, I think if he is going to get back into, you know, Australian selections, Australian contention, um, he either needs to be like eye-poppingly good as a keeper or he needs to start getting big batting scores. Um, whether he can do that or not um, remains to be seen. But, you know, it's good to see him back. Um, he can definitely still perform in terms of, you know, his wicket-keeping talents. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how that development goes. Yeah, I think there's two things that need to happen for him to get back into the test team, and that's Alex Carey being injured. I don't think um, anyone's going to get past Carey at least this year. Uh, and the other thing that needs to happen is him to score hundreds. Um, obviously, Jimmy Pearson's made 100 already. Tim Payne needs to score multiple of those if he's to kind of get back into the uh, the test team. Um, but, you know, the Tour of India coming up, Tim Payne's a pretty good player against spin and, you know, the best glover in the country still. So uh, everyone says that at least. No one really knows he's only kept in one game. Um, but we'll see how that goes. I, I don't think he comes back, though, but... Um, is at least good to see him back at the level, that's for sure. That'll wrap things up for the episode and for the week, though. Uh, a little bit of a delay on this one, a couple of days after than, than the usual release. But, uh, Callum, there's a bunch of cricket, probably some basketball coming up over the week as well. So where can people find you on Twitter for that? Uh, yep, I'm I'm on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. I, I live tweet cricket and basketball to 
resounding response. And um, yeah, nah, come, come hang out, come, come, um, you know, engage with that. That's good. It's always fun. Absolutely. Give uh, give Callum a follow on the socials and the show as well. Top Edge Podcast on Twitter, Instagram for all of the content. There's also some stuff on the uh, Edge of the Crowd TikTok that we won't talk about because the comments were a bit uh, a bit off, but uh, that is what it is. Um, so follow all the cricket writing at edgeofthecrowd.com. There'll be a lot more of that in the weeks to come, that's for sure, including pretty much the previews that you've heard today uh, as written pieces if you want to read them as well as, as listen for three weeks. Um, so that is that is what it is. Thanks for the reviews. Uh, that was really good. And and for uh, Luke Williams for jumping on the show and, and giving us that interview as well. That's always good to see. But we'll be back next week with a, a T20 World Cup preview. And I promise it won't be as long. Anyway, thanks for, thanks for that. And we'll see you all next week.